The following message is from Pastor Lester Cruzat of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. Yeah, we're in this Advent season, and so we are awaiting and anticipating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Uh, my name is uh, Lester. I'm one of the pastors here at and uh, at Catalyst. Uh, sorry, at ICC, and I am also a junior high pastor for Catalyst. So junior high, so and high school Catalyst is here too. So yeah, okay, they're all over there. All right. Um, I did want to start off our um, this uh, this talk with you just with a by taking a poll by giving this this question that has been uh, probably probably considered one of the most controversial questions um, that, that one can ask during Christmas. And it, this question actually has divided households. Okay. So here it is. What is your preference for your Christmas tree? Real or fake? <laughs> right. Right. Raise your hands if you love to have real trees in your home as your Christmas tree. Raise your hands. Oh, not that, whoa, that is so few. And then who, then I'm assuming the rest of you, like me, are into the fake trees, fake trees. Oh, man, amen. This is, wow, sorry for those who like real trees. Um, I, I was talking to a couple of, uh, I, was, I was talking to um, uh, one, of, one of our friends here at church, and he was like, yeah, me and some families, we go out to, uh, some uh, some uh, some tree gardens, and we 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 cut down freshly, uh, just, just a fresh pine tree, just a fresh tree, Christmas tree, and a bunch of families just do that together, and we do that every year. I was like, oh man, that totally reminds me of uh, a story. And so, um, back when I was living in St. Louis, we knew a couple that actually did the same thing. They actually went and they would chop themselves down a fresh Christmas tree, and they found they found one that was perfect. They loaded it up in their car and they went into. Uh, their home, they, they set it up so nicely, right? It was right, it was like such a picturesque uh, Christmas scene, right by a fireplace, decorations everywhere, they, they put the lights up, and they decorated their tree, and it was just beautiful. It was, oh, and you guys know that those of you who like real trees, the, the two of you, um, <laughs> that, that pine tree smell is something else, right? That pine tree smell is something else, and, and so that was just... I was just going through their home and everything. And so a couple of days later, um, coming home from work, they found, uh, they found all of a sudden um, an infestation of praying mantis, baby praying mantises all across their wall. Right? Praying mantises, they lay about, they lay about like, 10 to 100 eggs, but each egg actually produces 1 to 200 praying mantises, baby, baby mantises, and that just totally just covered their wall, and they were just horrified, just like many of you are right now, right? That's what they get for getting a real tree. Okay. Um, Merry Christmas, right? You know, I, you know, I share that. I share that because, um, uh, because life is full of twists and turns, right? Um, it's, it's, full of, it's just full of unexpected surprises, 
Uh, life, is, life is just, um, it's full of surprises, and, and there's just, a, a, there's all of a sudden a side of reality right, that you never thought possible all of a sudden occurs and catches you off guard. Right? Uh, Pastor Peter did a great job in, in looking into uh, Abraham's life. Right? Now we're going to move a little bit forward into the Old Testament, and we're going to actually look at Moses' life. All right, we're going to take a, take a quick survey of that and look into that. And if anyone had that kind of life where it had all these twists and turns and unexpected events that happened to them, it was, it was Moses. It was Moses, right? See, Moses orphaned. He was orphaned as a baby right? and by his biological mother in order to save his life from a terrible law passed by Pharaoh. Right? So the great ruler of Egypt made a decree to kill all the newborn baby Hebrew males by drowning them in the Nile. All because the Israelites who populated his land were growing in number too quickly, for even slavery was not enough to slow the numerical growth um, of the Israelites. And they were seen as a threat to Pharaoh. Out of desperation, this woman, her name was Jochebed, she puts her own baby in a basket and floats it down the river, uh, floats, not it, floats him, uh, down the river aisle, hoping and praying that someone would find him, like care for him, and raise him. Not only was this baby fortunate enough to be discovered, but who discovered him? The, the daughter of Pharaoh, who gives Moses his name and is raised among the Egyptian, Egyptian royalty. Forty years later, Moses, now a full-grown adult, observes the oppression of his own people, and the justice-filled heart of Moses couldn't take it any longer. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his own and killed him and to save his Israelite brother. Soon after, now a criminal, is forced to flee as Pharaoh learns of it and threatens his life. From orphan to prince of Egypt to a fleeing criminal, his life takes another unexpected turn. During this time, after running away from Egypt, the Israelites' oppression became heavier under the rule of even a harsher Pharaoh. The Lord sees all of it and is heartbroken. It is in the wilderness and it is there that Moses encounters a burning bush, a live manifestation of God's presence, and it is there that Moses finds his ultimate purpose, to be used by God to free his people from the torment and oppression brought upon them by the Egyptians and to bring them to a land that is reserved just for them where they can live freely and flourish. Exodus 3.8 says this, So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, Jebusites now live. We can already see in the very beginning an abundance of highly unexpected events in Moses' life. And my guess is many of us can understand what that's like. We can never predict with 100% certainty or assurance that this or that will happen in our lives. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, and we don't know if our plans will go through or transform into something totally different. 
Now, just to get a little participation going on here, I want you to respond to my question, which will be, what are you doing tomorrow with, I don't know, okay? And I just want you to, I just want you to sit there and go, in, I don't know. I just want you, I want you to shrug, put up your hands and go, I don't know, okay? All right, here we go. What are you guys doing tomorrow? I don't know. Come on, everyone, please. Come on, let's do this. What are you guys doing tomorrow? I don't know. Exactly. Right? That should be the heart posture of all of our plans, right? We don't know if it's going to happen, right? There's not a 100% bedrock uh, guarantee that this is going to happen, right? In the past few years, I have stopped proclaiming uh, and assuming things about my life because uh, everything that I said that I would, ever, that I would never do, actually, I, I, I did. I had to, right? One was, uh, Lord, I will never, I'll never move back to Chicago when I was in St. Louis, and um, hello, hi, we're here. Lord, I will never live with my parents. And then when I got let go from um, uh, a church plant in Wicker Park, uh, a lot of church hurt there, uh, we were forced to live with my parents for three months, okay? Um, Lord, I will never live in the suburbs. They lived in the suburbs, right? Lord, I will never go to a predominantly Asian-American church. I'm going to an, yeah, yeah, I'm going to an, Predominantly Asian American church. Lord, I will never teach middle school. During that time, when off of ministry, when I left that job for a year and a half, I, I was in a ministry and I actually taught. I taught high school before 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 uh, going into seminary uh, back in the day. Now I'm teaching in a middle school. I said, Lord, I am never going to teach in middle school. I started teaching in middle school. Back then, I was like, Lord, I hate math. I was teaching math in middle school. That's <laughs> <laughs> And for a while, I was like, Lord, I will never marry a Korean. Then I married a Korean. No, I'm just, just kidding. Just joking. My wife's, I love her. Okay, I love her. Um, and it's funny how I'm calling him Lord, right? Lord, I'm not going to, right? Lord, I'm not, uh, a little paradoxical there. It felt like the Lord was saying to me, you're not the authority over your life. Okay? I'm your king. I'm ultimately the author of your story. So... How many of us have found ourselves in places or circumstances where we're like, how in the world did I get here? Right? I would have never dreamed in a million years that this is where I'd end up or this is what I'd be doing in my life, right? From random jobs to unexpected pregnancies or places you never thought you'd visit. You know, I was talking to one of the junior high students this morning. And I was like, hey, share something with me that was really unexpected. He's like, man, it was crazy. I you know, I, I didn't know I was having a little brother, and so when I, saw, when I saw this baby in my home, I was like, who is this guy? I was like, I was like oh, they didn't tell you? You know, kind of thing. Um, sure, they did. He wasn't, you know, wasn't paying attention, but maybe these accounts are just maybe, I don't know, big reminders that um, we ultimately don't have control, okay? We ultimately don't have control over our own life. James 4, 13 to 17, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. We, we will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's, it's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious, meaning arrogant, plans, and all such boasting is evil. So don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that planning is evil, right? But it is the heart of neglecting and incorporating and involving God in your plans. Right? 
the posture. It's your self-promotion to being Lord over your own life and assumptions on how your life should go, will go. It's this, it's it, it is the subtle dethroning of the only one who has the rightful place, that rightful spot as king over your life. You know, as we, as we read on, about the miraculous, twisty, turning life of Moses, you got to, when you read it, you're just like, man, this guy accomplished a lot. And uh, he, he did a lot, and he was favored a lot. He was favored a lot, right? Moses is called by God to be his prophet. He's given the responsibility of sharing what he's saying, right? This is what I want to tell my people. I'm going to go through you to do that. Amazing, right? Moses would be used to warn Pharaoh, Lord, if you don't get our people out of your own oppression, God's going to you know, bring down ten plagues and it's going to be messy. Right? And then Moses gets front row seat to what? The ten plagues, right? And sees the wonders and signs of God. Moses is used in one of the most miraculous and timeless acts upon nature, right? This parting of the Red Sea so that they can escape once and for all from their oppressors, the, the Egyptians, he was managing, governing, rebuking disgruntled Israelites time and time again in one of the hardest, right, in one of the hardest lands, the desert. Even, right, he even had, was able to handle and was given the Ten Commandments, right, the, the laws, the directions of how the people are going to flourish under God. And all that, the, also, the first generation of Israelites, I don't know if you knew this, but they didn't make it. There was too much sin and rebellion going on there. So the whole, almost the whole generation, the first generation of Israelites did not make it. Only a few. And that was Moses. Moses was one of the few that made it. Right? And what I find most significant is when we read about his life and, and, we, and it talks about how Moses has multiple intimate encounters with God like no one else in his day. Right? They say in scriptures in Exodus 33 that that he, it's like, uh, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When you survey and observe all of Moses' experiences and accomplishments, you would think all of this points to a chosen one of God, right? Covered with his fair share of bumps and bruises, right? Uh, and in this dangerous and grueling long journey across the dangerous terrain of the desert. He will make it and accomplish his, his God-given mission to make it to the promised land. He has to. He's, he's been through too much. He sacrificed, bled, lost too much. He was seen so fairly by God to the degree where Moses would meet with him face to face, time and time again. But then, when there is once again quarreling and rebellion amongst the Israelites... God gives specific direction to Moses, and Numbers 20 happens. Numbers 20, 6, 20, 6 and 9 says this, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he has commanded him. The Lord gives his directions, tell the rock, and then water will be provided for my people. Numbers 20, 10 to 13, 
Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff, what, twice. He struck it twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And here comes the rebuke, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. What? <laughs> what in the world? Okay, here, here. Moses disobeyed God to such a degree that he wouldn't be pardoned for striking the rock, not once, but twice, not obeying exactly what the Lord told him to do. Maybe striking the rock with anger, frustration, not obeying, not trusting, not in submission to God to provide the water. It is speculated that Moses in his heart wanted to be seen as the main cause of that provision of water towards the people. Whatever the case, whatever the case, this is an unexpected, crazy event that happens with Moses where you think chosen, 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 faithful, walking with God, meeting with God, Nah, not going to make it. His mission is not going to succeed. Right? It's like, I, I don't know, it's like looking at, uh, watching the, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and after all of those movies, right, all of a sudden Frodo is finally at Mount Doom to destroy the ring, but then he dies before he gets to destroy the ring, and then Sam does it. Right? Or, or, or those Marvel movies, for 10 years, it was culminating to this one scene, right, this one scene where they're getting beaten by Thanos' army, Right? It looks pretty hopeless. And then all of a sudden, you know, Captain America, he's, he's looking all down, beaten, and all of a sudden he hears this, to your left, right? And all these portals start forming. And what you got? You got all the good guys coming through these portals, like so majestic, right? They saw the dun-dun-dun, like all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is awesome. They're together. They're going to fight evil. And then what happened? Like, and then they lose. Right? It's like that. Like There's such a climax, and all of a sudden it's just like such a disappointment. Right? It's such a disappointment. It's like, it's like someone gives you a fortune cookie, and you like, can't wait to read the fortune, but your friend goes ahead and eats the message before you can read it. <laughs> That's happened to me. I'm still really angry about that. Moses will not enter the... Pe Moses will not enter with the people of Israel when they reach the promised land. They will eventually go and succeed under a new leader named Joshua. And Moses to fulfill the rest of the duties before his death outside the promised land. Never to set a physical foot onto the promised land. He can see it. The Lord will let him see it. But he's never going to enter it. In the midst of the twists and turns in life, how many of you have encountered heavy blows of un- anticipated disappointments. Events, people, circumstances, they just let you down. Where it strikes deeper is when a string of positive results, signs, events occur, and where you think, surely this is, this is or that will go through, for sure I will succeed. And yet, it doesn't. Plans fall through, people fall through, hopes, dreams, 
altered, even demolished? I mean, so, so what is it for you? Or is it for you presently? Right? What was the promised land that you never made it to? Is it a family member that didn't come through for you? Maybe a letter of rejection from a college. A grade you thought you deserved, but you just didn't get. A sudden loss of a job. An adoption that fell through. A church family that hurt you. A parent that didn't keep their promise. A dream or vision that was taken away from you. When all roads seem to point to, this is it, this is going to happen, this way, life will be better when this gets done or fulfilled, and then all of a sudden, it just doesn't. A lot of times, the disappointments come from unmet expectations. And if we're honest, the disappointments that have hit us the hardest come from unmet expectations, right? Whether they were right expectations or wrong expectations, It was the standard, right, the element of looking forward to, this inner conviction of this is how things are supposed to be, in turn, brings us into this horrible feeling of sadness and dismay when things just don't turn out how we thought. Life is just full of unexpected twists and turns and is full of unexpected disappointments. So what is it for you? What is it for you? Moses had his. He could see it. He could almost taste it, right? Entering and living in this glorious promised land. And when you read into his life and you look, Numbers 20 happened, right? What was or is your Numbers 20? When did your promised land all of a sudden become unreachable? Um, Me and my family, we were shopping for a home last summer and if you've been following the market, um, the market hasn't been the kindest to buyers as of late. You know, we actually found one home that really ticked um, most of the boxes of, of what we were looking for. Uh, we loved the neighborhood and the look of the home. It was, it was beautiful to us. Right? Um, when we were going through it, uh, just touring it, um, I had, uh, me and my, my four, uh, who at the time was four, Joseph, uh, we were sitting on top of the staircase of the home, the main staircase, and I said, hey, Joseph, let's pray for the home, and let's pray that the Lord will give, that, give this to us. And he's like, okay. So he's just, he just prays this such innocent, pure, pure prayer, and says, Lord, please give us this home, right? And I'm like, I thought, Lord, how could you not listen to this kid, Right? <laughs> I actually had scenes, and some of you might relate, or maybe if you found a home that you, you loved. And I actually had scenes in my head of the kids playing and, and running around in the home, playing in the common area, uh, park area. And as we continued the process of looking to attain this particular home, there was one evening where we just gave up on it and decided to move on. It just wasn't going to work for us financially. Sadly, we were going to walk away from it. That same evening, I just sat by myself in the dining room table, and I felt this strong, strong conviction. It just came on. 
It was almost like a loud voice in my heart saying, the house is yours. I was a little startled and then confused at first, and then tears welled up in my eyes, feeling like we were about to receive a gift. All of a sudden, it felt like a part of my brain just switched on, and I had a moment of enlightenment. You see, my wife, Grace, is the one that usually handles the numbers and the finances of our family. And but for some reason, uh, this idea and insight and how we can actually access the funds to actually make a down payment on the home actually came to me. Right? It's like, again, it's like my brain just all of a sudden turned on. And I was like, yo, I think there's a way we can get the home. So I, I rush upstairs. It's like 2 a.m. I wake up my wife. I'm like, Grace. She's like, what? I'm like, I think we can get the home. She's like, how? And I explain her this plan that all of a sudden came to my mind. She's like, I think that will work. I was like, yeah. And with joy, with joy, right? We, um, we put an offer for the home. We put an offer for the home. We were pumped, right? We put in this offer a couple of days later. I, mean, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, God, you're so good. You're giving us these gifts, all the dream house we always wanted, right? It's going to be ours. After a few days, the answer, after a few days of waiting for an answer uh, towards our offer, and I remember when it happened, I was at the church, and I, I just I was about to go into my car to run some errands, and then Grace calls me. And I was so ready to hear, yes. But she tells me the seller said no. Um, our real estate agent, Tita Nessie, she follows up, and to confirm it, the reasons why we lost out is because we needed 90 days to close because of our rent situation. She's like, no one closes in 90 days. In all of my real estate career, the longest has been 60 days. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. And then she said also, it was a cash offer. <laughs> they have a cash offer. They're, they want to close in less than 60 days. Of course, they're going to take the home. For a second, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> going to fall through. The buyers, the buyers, the, um, it's going to, and the seller, it's not going to work. It's not going to work between them. The Lord promised us this home. And that was just for a minute, that feeling of hope. And it quickly turned into, what? What happened? Right? I felt deflated. It was like the hardest pill to swallow. I thought I heard from, all the signs were there. It just looked like it was going that way. Right? What, what do you do with the disappointments in life? Right? Some, some of us refer to uh, resorting to lowering our expectations. Right? You know what that's like. As long as I lower my expectations, then I'm, I'm, I'm not going to dream anymore. I'm not going to expect much from people. I'm just not going to trust anyone anymore. Right? And, and that might feel good for a little bit, right? but you're actually like killing off your own soul. Right? And sense of self as you degrade in your hurt and, and lost dreams and opportunities. You're like walling yourself up. Right? Well, we find that even life can't even fix that. Right? Life, can't, life can't be fixed through lowered expectations. Right? In these dark places of despair and disappointment, what God can, what, what God can do in these circumstances, right? he can use these 
dark disappointments to find entryways into your thwarted plans, right? Where he can finally find access into your heart and turn things around in ways you never would expect. Where success is found on his terms and it turns out to be so much better than than what we could ever have planned or hoped for ourselves. Check this out. In Matthew 17, in one of the most amazing accounts in the Bible, Jesus displays his true sonship as the Messiah to a few of his disciples, cloaked in divine glory. And who was there to affirm? Who was there to affirm this powerful vision and proclamation as the one the scriptures have been hoping and pointing to this whole time? Matthew 17, 1 to 3. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and this face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them who? Moses and Elijah talking with him. (laughs) Now Moses stands on the promised land with who? The one who far exceeds his own encounters with God in the burning bush, in the tent of meeting, or in Mount Sinai, right? Probably the most intimate encounter with God through his fellowship with Jesus now. Something he never thought possible. All of a sudden, right, there he is before him, the glorified display of Jesus, the Son of God, who is the very essence of God himself. Moses only caught glimpses of this encounter during his adventurous and burden-filled life, but now the full picture is before him from the promised land right, to the promised Messiah. Right? Moses' vision now witnessed and realized as he stands beside everything he hoped and longed for in the person of Jesus. Moses did make it after all, and this was, one, this was more than he could have ever imagine. Even through life's darkest disappointments, they can become entry points for God's unexpected blessings. Being left sad and confused in my car, trying to run these errands, I was so bothered, right? Again, I really thought, I really thought that was his voice. God, this was the same voice that we followed you from St. Louis to Chicago. This is the same voice I thought that you called me into the pastoral ministry. Lord, all these thoughts. And then then all of a sudden when I I decided to verbalize these things, verbalize my hurt, verbalize my confusion. Lord, why would you speak to me when you're not going to? Phone rings. My wife calls. Grace tells me we're back on. I was like, what happened? She's like, "Uh, let's put an offer again. It didn't work out between the sellers and previous buyers due to various reasons. And they wanted to go back with us. And now we had the leverage (laughs) to get some of our terms met. If you remember, one of the reasons the sellers didn't go with us is because of the 90-day close, right? We came back to the sellers and said, we'll put an offer again if you give us the 90-day close. And they said, yes. We would have never been able to do that unless we had the 90-day close. Real estate agents who are here, no one does, right? A 90-day close. Who does that? It now became possible for us to go ahead and get this home. Now, the road to getting the home was chaotic, right? It was tumultuous. It was emotional. 
There were times again where we thought we wouldn't get even after putting the offer. But last year, in November, we closed. We closed on the home. But it's not ultimately about the home. As I said, we can see it as an amazing gift. It's an amazing gift from the Lord. We love the neighborhood. We love, we love the home. The kids love the home. Right? It's an amazing gift that actually affirmed our call to actually serve in Chicago and to stay at ICC and, the, and to pastor and all that stuff. It was such a great affirmation that this is where I'm planting you to serve me. But when we look at a deeper layer of it, it's not about getting the home. It doesn't end there. The same way for Moses, it was never about a physical promised land. As Moses was closing in to the end of his life, his final discourse was full of longing in love for the people of God to be the people of God. He states his dramatic conclusion to his farewell discourse. Deuteronomy 30, 19 to 20, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life and you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land of the Lord, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Moses knew it wasn't about this 8,000-square-mile chunk of land that makes up the modern state of Israel today. His vision was never about the land, but the ideal place where God's rule will be, a place where earth can ta get a taste of heaven, where there would be a people living obediently and in submission to God. That was his Dream. That was his vision. A place where humans wouldn't kill one another, hurt one another, where they would treat one another with empathy, consideration, dignity, care, and respect. It would be the site where the kingdom of God would spread like wildfire across the whole world. It is not about the home. It is not about the land. Just this past summer, uh, we have many great babysitters that come from this church, and one of which is Carol's, uh, Carol, our um, HR um, our, 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 um, our, our awesome Carol who just keeps us organized, right? Keeps us on par, right? The, the knower of all things in the church, basically. Her, her daughter, awesome, uh, her daughters babysit our kids. Um, Natalie, you know, she comes over to babysit them and they have this wild idea. Like, hey, why don't we start up a lemonade stand? A simple lemonade stand, let's do it, okay? And I was like, oh, that's cute. That's nice. And they're outside, and what, it's about a nickel. What does it say? About a nickel, a little glass or something like that. I'm like, oh, that's cool. They get to learn about a little bit of economy, making money. Great, awesome. <sighs> Moments later, there comes this multitude of families that come from the neighborhood. Mind you, we kind of like judge this whole beautiful neighborhood as just very introverted and very to themselves. But all of a sudden, there's the the multitude of families from different backgrounds, ethnicities, and all that coming together, and, and we were finding commonality, and, and we were talking. It was just the biggest gathering I've seen on our street ever. And I was just like, what is happening here? And as time goes on, we build these deeper relationships. We're getting invited to Diwali nights. We're, we're, we're scooting with our kids in the streets. We're getting invited over for barbecues. We're, when we were sick, they bring over soup. 
We're, we're texting back and forth of plans. We're having a Christmas party together with all these different families around the block. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> the harvest field is plentiful. It's not about the home. It's about where God has placed us to be used to expand his kingdom of love and service. Don't get me wrong. We are so, every time we look at the home, oh, that is the token of the Lord's faithfulness. We'll always remember that. But how he used, how he used the location of the home to bring us to our calling to these people in our neighborhood. Praise the Lord. Amen. The Lord can take the deepest, darkest disappointments of your life and use it as an entryway for blessing. And that blessing always has to do with the glory of God and his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray.